But if you climb the mountain, you get to the actual where this water bubbles out of the earth, and it is so sweet and so cool, and you end up having an experience that is so sublime that it transcends your, your little picnic next to the stream. You are listening to And If Love Remains, a unique show spotlighting people, ideas, science, culture, and art. Your host... Mike Lovett. Mike Lovett. Rachel, you are right. And we are all listening to that great podcast in the sky. And if love remains, and I am its messenger. The blind Rabbi Micah, Mike Levitt. Welcome aboard, everyone, as we scour the WWW and try to unveil the, uh, you know, the 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 thin and thinning veneer of uh, tyranny in our world. So glad to have everybody aboard. Excited to have with me today in his studio. The man, the machine, the legend, the great doctor himself, Joey Wolverton. Welcome back to And If Love Remains. I am very excited. Which you can get on Amazon, uh, and I would. It's uh, Algernon Sydney and the Restoration Crisis. That's I think that's the second volume, and the first one is Algernon Sydney and the Republic or something like that. Jonathan Scott, traditional spelling of both those names. And Algernon Sydney, if you put that in the search bar at, at uh, Amazon or any of your like a books or any of the, your used book stuff, you'll come up with it. I would probably buy it used because buying it new through, I think it's, I think it's published by Cambridge, but buying it new is crazy spendy. Yeah. But as I said in the video, I support buying the crazy spendy versions because, you know, he's an academic, he's a professor. And so... The money he gets from his books is is uh, much appreciated. Speaking as someone who was an academic and made most of his living from book sales, I know that he would appreciate that. And gosh, his insights were in incredible. And and you know we've talked about Algernon uh, Colonel Sidney on the on the show before several times because I know he's one of your great heroes. Um, there is several parts of that interview that I loved. One of which was the acknowledgement um, that you've had, but but um, also that that uh, that he reinforced was that w- one of the primary reasons why Algernon Sidney became such a force in uh, the American revol- in the thinking of the American Revolution was not just because of what he wrote, which is was vital, but also how he lived and how he died. And I think. Um, you know, it's important that we, in a way, tie those t- those acts together, um, because it just adds so much gravitas to to what he said. He, I mean, he he put his life not just on the line, but he died for his principles. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing that the ancients used to uh, preach is you know you living well is one thing, but you've also got an obligation to die well, like the Spartan saying about come home with your shield or on it you either you either are victorious on the battlefield or you die trying and that was colonel sydney's idea but of course his and as dr scott in the interview made really apparent which i was so grateful for his uh illumination on this was for algernon sydney his prima mobile was his obligation as a christian Something, you know, I I remember when I introduced my wife to discourses concerning government for the first time, it is, it is laden with scriptural references and with uh, examples taken from primarily the the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well. And uh, for Colonel Sidney, his obligation as a Christian to not only to love his neighbor by warning his neighbor, but also to stand for the principles of individual liberty, 
he, in his estimation, and in mine as well, the atonement of Jesus Christ was the ultimate sacrifice for, to, to vouchsafe the right of individual liberty, agency for mankind. And so on the scaffold, as you know, when he gave his speech to, um, to, his, to the sheriff there to be read later, he, he says, he's like, I, I trust that God will accept this sacrifice that I'm making, and I know that he looks favorably upon those who sacrifice for the, the freedom of others, right? Because Jesus, his sacrifice did very little for himself, but right. did everything for us. And so it's important to remember that of all the influences that we talked about in the interview, the overwhelmingly uh, to Sydney important um, influence was that of his of his religious obligations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and that obviously that um, was passed through to the next generation. Uh, one of the things you talk about in your book, the, the found, Founder's Recipe, and one of the things I think people who buy that book and, and read it would find interesting is 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 of the the um, writings of the founding fathers. You you point out, you know, one of the most prominent are not these secular um, philosophers, are not even the the Algernon Sidneys and these kind of um, uh, guys who 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 pronounced you know liberty and 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 were those people, but actually were people like the apostle Paul. Yeah. I mean, they, these men, you had someone like John Adams who said, you know, when you look to the fathers and he was speaking of those pilgrim fathers and even in Jamestown, he said the principles that they used to form their government were the principles of the Bible. And you can't deny that you you can say what you want about the, the, the degrees of piety among the founding fathers, but to say that they weren't, men who recognized and who were were not influenced by the bible is is ignorance because to a man they could all quote the bible and not just as window dressing they understood its relevance to to their own time and and the founding fathers of course uh, you have when you study the the history of the founding the period you know the colonial period just prior to the to the war for independence the predominance of the the influence of the pulpit is unesca- is inescapable because they they took it upon themselves as an obligation to propound uh, principles of the gospel that they felt were relevant to the colony's uh, attitude toward the tyranny from London. And so, yeah, you get a, I would say, a predominance, and, and if you look at the sheer numbers, a predominance of, of scriptural reference in the years preceding the War for Independence. Um, after that, of course, it declines because you have um, an independent country looking more toward uh, the actual day-to-day governance right. as opposed to the principles upon which that government should be founded. And thus you see a decline also in references to Algernon Sidney, uh, to, um, to Montesquieu, to people like that, because now we're looking more at uh, guidance for the actual governing of a confederation as opposed to the principles upon which that government should be which, based. Unfortunately, in the minutia, those principles get lost. Yeah, and and they and that's something that you know I talk, excuse me, I talked to uh, Doctor Scott about one of Algernon Sidney's major influences is Machiavelli, a man. If there's if there was a an award for most misunderstood person, Machiavelli is going to be in the running because even the other night I we were watching some show, some rubbishy TV show. And the guy kept calling this other person 
Machiavellian, Machiavellian, right. Machiavellian. I guarantee the man, first of all, couldn't spell Machiavelli. Second, has never read a word Machiavelli wrote. But Algernon Sidney and many of his contemporaries in England, the English Republicans, uh, were seeped in Machiavelli's writing, principally, nope, that all came out funny, principally, <laughs> principally the di- Machiavelli's discourses on Livy, not the prince. Today, if you ask people who fancy themselves informed and you say, you know, what, what did Machiavelli write? They'll say the prince, mm-hmm. which he did write the prince. But the, the work that was most influential, not only on Sidney and his contemporaries, but on our founding fathers, by far, was Machiavelli's discourses on Livy. So Machiavelli basically read Livy and then wrote what he understood from Livy. It's sort of his, his commonplace book while he was reading Livy. And Algernon Sidney drew so much of his inspiration from Machiavelli, and so did people like James Harrington and John Milton uh, and other contemporary Republicans. But something Harrington said... And just paraphrasing Machiavelli, talking about these principles, he said that if you find your commonwealth drifting away from the principles upon which it was founded, then what you need is a generation of young men who are taught those principles again. They will draw the commonwealth back to that foundation. And he says your commonwealth would be eternal. And that's Machiavelli said that, and then Harrington sort of put it in a, a little different way, but that's what we need. And that, yeah. that is my reason for living, not exaggerating, not exaggerating in the least. My reason for living is to help build that generation of young people who are educated on the principles upon which our Commonwealth was founded and with the hope that they can draw it back to those principles. Right. And, and, um, you know, when you read, um, when you read these people, I I think, um, I think you have to, you have to, you have to, let me say this. People, um, need to be able to think critically and need to be able to think logically when they read, um, even the Bible, um, and the reason I say it that way is because, um, you know, no matter you mentioned the pulpit, for example, and how important, you know, I think there's a, there was a time when the churches, um, properly stood as a pillar against tyranny, right? Like it was like the, that was, the, that was one of the stated purposes of, of the church. Absolutely. You know, and they, they, I mean, you think about the, the foundation of the church and you had Christ himself recommending that you sell your cloak and buy a sword. He knew it was coming. And Algernon in discourses says, you know, we look to these, uh, as he calls them pagans and barbarians and the way they defended themselves, the Spartans, for example, and the Romans, he said, but we as Christians, we should be as noteworthy for our armed and vigorous defense of liberty as were the Spartans or the Romans. We should do that. There's nothing in the gospel of Christ that forbids us from making a a vigorous and armed defense of the liberty right. that God gave us. And so, yeah, there. I don't know if you know Paul Blair. He used to play for the Chicago Bears, and now he's a pastor and has a church down in uh, Oklahoma. And something he said to me the other day that he tells, he has a a camp for other pastors to try and teach them these principles, and he's a really great guy. Um, He said that what he, he says he'll have a lot of pushback from people and say, we oughtn't talk about this stuff in church. Mm -hmm. And he says the thing that he tells them is, okay, I want you to list on a piece of paper the areas of life, the parts of your life, the over which Christ is not Lord. And those are the areas we won't talk about in church. And of course, there isn't one. Right. And so politics, principles of government, the vigorous defense, the and to be honest, Mike, not just the armed defense, 
but the educated defense right. of liberty. It's there's such a dearth of understanding, even among so-called conservatives and constitutionalists. I'm, you know, wasting and wearing out my life trying to trying to push back and help people understand and appreciate by the, the, the foundational principles of our country by showing them those things, not just by advocating them with, with my own voice, but by saying, look, read these things. Right. And, and this is, I think, a problem, um, you know, both in the church and, and secularly, which is if, you know, we can, we can be told or, you know, we can be, yeah, we can be told what's in the book, but until we actually read the book, until we actually understand what's in the book, we can't come to a decision of what we believe about the book. And so it, whether that's the Bible, whether that's the constitution, you can listen to a million professors tell you how the constitution is a living document about how um, the, the uh, declaration of independence really doesn't apply, you know, to us today, how the articles of confederation was a weak and, and, you know, terrible document, um, you know, about, anything about our history you can hear you can hear a thousand professors say these things but until you actually read what they wrote until you actually you know the amazing things that you read when you read a patrick henry speech or you read um trenton gordon you know you read these people and you actually come to your own decision just like reading the bible like the preacher can tell you all he all he can tell you but when you read the book and if that doesn't match up with the preacher you can go Hey, I can make my own decision about what God's word means. Well, not only can you, but you should. Right. You know, and that's the thing. It's I feel such genuine sadness when we have extraordinary access to all the things that our founding fathers, not only what they wrote, but what they read. We can we can go on the founders archive online and put in the name Sidney, Algernon Sidney, and find thousands of references that they made to him. We can put in the name Machiavelli. We can put in the name John Trenchard and Thomas Gordon. We can do this. And, and we can read those things. for. We don't need to drink downstream, Mike, right. but we're so content to. Because, yes, I understand that getting... It's like one of my favorite places in Utah, it, there's... A spring, it's called Cascade Springs, and you have to climb up to this thing, right? Down at the bottom, the spring, you know, as it winds its way down the hill, down the mountain, makes a lovely stream, and there's places to have picnics, and it's very pretty, very pretty. And there's little wooden bridges, little wooden foot bridges, and everything, and it's great. But if you climb the mountain, you get to the actual where this water bubbles out of the earth, and it is so sweet and so cool, and it's worth the trip. And you end up having an experience that trans so sublime that it transcends your your little picnic next to the stream, right? Because you realize this stuff is bubbling out of the earth, and I'm putting it in my mouth, and it's sweet and cool. And I, I tell you, Mike, and you know, but listeners, if y'all will just do that, take, do like I did, you know, when I started this journey was, was, you know, Dr. Vetterly saying, look at the index of the Federalist Papers. And, and I did that, but, you know, also I had that experience of looking at one of the Federalist Papers and it referenced the Abbe de Mobley, I remember, and asking my professor, Who's the Abbe de Mobley? And he's like, I have no idea. His name, he's name checked in the Federalist. Okay. You can go read what he said. And guess what? You read what he said, your mind is blown. Yeah. This is an 18th century French Republican with a small R, personal friend of John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. And the things he wrote in letters, his observations of America, reveal to you the intended structure of this confederation of republics. And but that's just one example. Right, right. But people, we just we just glide over it. Well, and 
I want to, I want to give people maybe a, um, a, a different example, um, because I think people can relate to this. You know, you can, one can listen to somebody talk about Beethoven's Ode to Joy, you know, and how beautiful and sublime it is, you know, or how it's, you know, in fact, you could have somebody say how it's uh, trite and not worth, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the manuscript it was written on. Um, you can have all kinds of people talk about it, um, but until you actually listen to the Ode to Joy, like you have no idea what the Ode to Joy is or how beautiful it really is. And then you, if you take that a step further and actually go through the work, and, and it is work, you go through the work of actually listening to the entire Ninth Symphony that Beethoven wrote, and it'll take you about an hour and a half or so to, to listen to the entire thing from you know second one to the final uh, bar, and you'll realize just how glorious that Ode to Joy is. And then if you go through the work of just learning a little bit about Bach, a little bit about Mozart, a little bit about the people that Beethoven was re referencing from, all of a sudden that Ninth Symphony becomes just the most glorious, the most beautiful. But try to do that without listening once even to the Ode to Joy and you, you can't even understand what they're talking about. And in the same way, there's no way that you can understand or, or have any opinion of what a professor is saying about Machiavelli, about Algernon Sidney, about these guys, until you've actually done the modicum of work it takes to, to read it and understand it for yourself. Well, the first time a professor says, so-and-so, you know, Hitler was Machiavellian. Right. <laughs> Machiavelli would slap the taste out of that professor's mouth if he heard him say that. Machiavelli was not in favor of power at all costs. He was not. In fact, that was the worst thing he said. The best way for a prince, as he said, a magistrate to maintain any sort of authority is to be a virtuous man that his people respect, mm -hmm. not to be bloodthirsty and power at all costs. But yeah, I, the funny thing is, it's like, like I said, Mike, we live in an era where we have access to all these things that I didn't have access to when I was first discovered. You know, when I wanted to know about these men whose names... Okay, Joey Wolverton walking uphill both ways, and I'm just No, for real. Well, <laughs> it's actually true. It was actually true, but I mean, I had to go to the library, right, right. look in a card catalog. What's a card catalog? Yeah, and and like most of these things, and I most of these things weren't in card catalogs, and so you'd try to find a book by, you know, whatever name. And and by the way, that was a fascinating aspect of your interview with with Dr. Scott was when you were taught. You guys were talking about finding the manuscript, and hey, do you think it's like maybe hidden in some, you know, some. 17th century manor somewhere in the middle of France, you know, like that was actually such an interesting aspect of that conversation because, you know, we, we, um, you know, you, you talk about not having card catalogs. Like we don't know where a lot, some of these manuscripts are. It's just, yeah. And he said that he said, there's a lot of stuff from that, the 17th century that's missing. Right. That's referred to that. We don't have the, the manuscript and discourse concerning government is the Holy grail. Right. I mean, Discourse concerning government, if that, if that manuscript is there somewhere, can you imagine just sitting there taunting us, you know, right. Barry, like, you know, like Blair Warden, like Professor Warden at Oxford, like how he found court maxims, the manuscript just rolled up in a piece of leather, right? And just sitting there for centuries. And then you're just like, oh, I wonder what this is. Oh my goodness. Wow. You know, so somewhere, and he like, Professor Scott said, it's 50-50. It could right. have been destroyed by the printer, the publisher, who a good chance that he did, but there's also a chance that it, it made it but out. But that whole story about how and why it was published when it was, was fascinating too. Like, I, listen, at some point, Joey's going to release that interview. You got you to gotta listen Yeah, it'll to be later it's, today. It's, I'm, it's I'm so definitely going to get it set up to release. Yeah, it's put so it on my, it's on so my Teacher it. of Liberty on YouTube. If you go to Teacher of Liberty on YouTube. But Mike, here's the thing. And this is what gets me every time. And I, I, I know I'm a broken record, but it's a record that needs to be listened to. We have access today that 
no other generation had, man. So you tell, I'm sitting here holding a copy of the Federal, just the regular mass market paperback signet version of the Federalist paper. The exact same, it did, well, I mean, it's been years, but the same edition that I had in 1987 sitting in Richard Vettelie's office at BYU. And the index hasn't changed. And you just think about, if you really, 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 you know like how uh, the Savior said that, you know, we should befriend the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're someone's friend, don't you know something about them? Right. I mean, me and you, we've taken road trips. Yeah. We've, we've, you know, got stoned. No, we haven't. We haven't, <laughs> we haven't really got stoned. We broke again. bread. We broke bread. We didn't get stoned. <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? You know, you spend time with them. You right. get to know what, you know, what kind of food do they like, what kind of music they listen to, that kind of stuff. Well, I think if you're going to befriend the Constitution, you got to find it's one thing to read it, which I'm going to come out and say right now, I'm going to say the silent part out loud. Most conservatives have not read the Constitution. Yep. And when they say they have, they're lying. Yep. Because when they're, when I ask them questions about it, they come off with something from the Declaration of Independence or something straight out of their own head or something from a Supreme Court decision. Most of them haven't read it. Then you'll get that group that says they've read the Federalists. They're also lying. Okay? I'm sorry, but y'all are lying. And it's fine. You know, you're going to... I'm going to call you out. <laughs> I'm going to call you out only because I'm calling you out because I want you to do better, man. Right. We can fix this. If we can do like Machiavelli and James Harrington said, if we can get this generation of people to become once again familiar with the principles on which you're founded. So I'm sitting here with this book, Mike, and if you were just to go through the, the index and just stop at a name you know, that you didn't recognize, and you're just going through and you're just like William Blackstone. Well, you see here, he's referenced three times in the Federalist Papers. Okay. And I would challenge someone to say, I would challenge people, find out why. And then you keep going down, and I'm going to just look at the next name that we find. Like, name. I'm talking about, like, name of an individual, not, like, other things that we might not um, know anything about, like, Greek confederacies and stuff, but just names of individuals. Uh, let's see. Who's the next individual we got? This is good radio right here. Yeah, now. man. I'm, I'm this digging is it. good radio. Um, <laughs> let's see. I'm just looking for someone's name. He's being very you. specific, looking for somebody that we might know. No, I'm that, just looking for a name some, just to say, okay, Hugo Grotius. Hugo Grotius. Mentioned in the Federalist Papers. What do you know about? Why was he mentioned? Because you think of the thousands and thousands of people that these men read. Right. You got two already. I've just turned a few pages. You got, and I've skipped some, I'm sure, by just going quickly. Blackstone and Grotius. What do you know about those two guys? Next up, David Hume. Mentioned in the federal. What do you know about David Hume? What can you tell me about what he's written? Uh, let's see. And even and even taking, I think even if you took those names and just did a Google search, like did nothing more. Than oh, look at nothing more than thing. a Google search. Okay, here's the Abbe de Mobley that I was talking about before. Yeah. What do you know about what he wrote? Montesquieu. What do you know? Yes, I. Many of you've heard his name, but do you know why he's mentioned what he wrote? Uh, let's see, Samuel Pufendorf, who I always on the same page as Plutarch and Plato. Now you're going to say. Plato, I know you don't, but read Plato. Plutarch. Plutarch. Why is Plutarch mentioned? What do they oh. talk about? What What are they mentioning Plutarch for? Who's Samuel Pufendorf? Yeah. Why are they mentioning him? And like you say, Polybius. Who's Polybius? <laughs> what did he write? Why are the founding fathers mentioning him in this Federalist papers that were written as letters to the editor. These aren't scholarly dissertations, y'all. These are letters to the editor meant to influence the common people. Why would they be in these letters be mentioning Polybius and put all of these names? And I'm just, like I say, I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of them just by going so fast. But 
Uh, let's see who would be the next one. I'm just going through real fast and I'm not getting them all because I'm not interested in making it, uh, comprehensive. I'm, it's just an example, right? Uh, who's the next one mentioned here? Let's find a guy. Tacitus. Tacitus. Do you know who Tacitus is? Why is he mentioned? Why are they mentioning him in the Federalist Papers? Right. You know, what did he do? What did he, you know, uh, you know, you've got Machiavelli, you've got Caesar Beccaria. Why are Cesare Beccaria, why are these guys mentioned? See, and, and, you know, the reason, and it's not just like an academic, there's, it's not just academic reasons. No. We need to know this stuff. No, it isn't. Cause like you said, if you do a simple Google search. Right. And you're like, you spent, I mean, you imagine the time that most people spend scrolling some social media. I don't know. I'm not slagging that off. We all do it. I'm not slagging that off. What I'm saying is you've got to prioritize stuff. <laughs> if you say, I don't have time to do it, what you're saying is that thing's not important to me. Right. And so if you can put down TikTok or Instagram or Facebook, depending on how old you are, you can put down that thing and spend 10 minutes saying, you know what? I'm going to find out why the founding fathers are quoting Plutarch. I want to know who the hell Plutarch is, and I want to know why they are quoting him in the Federalist. These aren't scholarly discourses, y'all. These are letters to the editor written to the understanding of common Americans. And, why are they quoting Plutarch or the, Polybius? The reason why... It's the same reason why they wrote those letters to the editor. They felt that that information was important for a repu- for people who ha- who um, want a republican form of government, who want a free society. That they need to understand those people, and they were and, and to understand, they assumed that you already understood. But they were referencing saying they because because this guy said this. This is why we should live this way or do this thing. And if we don't have what I'm trying to say in my roundabout strange Mike Levitt way is I'm trying to say that the not knowing this stuff has consequences. And, and, you know, I think one of the consequences that we have very practically, it comes down to even things like you, you just had an article yesterday about what's happening in Texas with the razor wire. Now, not understanding what, they were reading the what the Constitution says, what they were writing in the in the Federalist Papers, and what and what they were, what all that was grown from the ground that that that's, that 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 those um, plants sprung from has consequences to this day. Yeah, I mean, we it doesn't matter that you know who Hugo Grotius is, right? But it matters that you know why he was important to the founding fathers. Because I'm going to tell you something. Everything going on in Texas right now, if you read the first 10 pages of Hugo Grotius's the, the Laws of War and Peace, you would have a greater understanding than you do right now. That's 10 pages, Mike. If you read Hugo Grotius, and the Founding Fathers, as you saw, he even appears in the Federalist Papers. We're not talking, you know, we're not talking the letters that Jefferson and Adams wrote to each other that are just dripping with names of right. philosophers and thinkers and writers. We're talking the Federalist. We're talking letters to the editor written down to the understanding of common people. These aren't Princeton grads exchanging names. Right. This is a guy saying, hey, you know what Grotius says. And the common people back then be like, yup. Now, do you need to know? There's not going to be a, a celestial exam. But what there is, is there is an examination of each one of us every day right. on do we know the principles upon which this country is founded? Because guess what? If you're fighting for something that you think is the Constitution, but it isn't, you're fighting against the Constitution, That's right. whether you like it or not. Now, you might, Pufendorf has a great essay in his book, The Whole Duty of Man. He has a great essay where he says there's voluntary ignorance and involuntary ignorance. Involuntary ignorance is like you can't, you don't know you don't know, and you don't have a way to know. Voluntary ignorance is you could know, but you choose not to. 
So he's like, you're going to be held accountable for that. Now, Pufendorf says you'll be held accountable to God for refusing to use this ability that he gave you to use your intellect, to use the time that he's given you to educate yourself on these principles, because he says they're eternal, they're natural. Well, you can say something as simple as, I, I, do you know how many times I hear people say, we're a republic, not a democracy? Right. No, we're not. You ain't going to find the word democracy in the Constitution. Well, you ain't going to find the word republic either. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's right. That's absolutely true. And people are like, we're supposed to be a republic. No, we're not. Right. Genius. We're not. Read the bloody document. Right. First of all, it says the only reference is that the United States shall guarantee to each state a Republican form of government. What does that mean? What is a Republican? You don't know. You're just saying it because it sounds conservative. It sounds the opposite of the bad guys. And I get that. We want to sound the opposite of the bad guys, but we need to be better than the bad guys. We need to be able to back up the things we say. We need to be able to sound authoritative because we are authoritative. Right. We, there is power. There is power in antiquity. There is power in these names. You get and you say, it is like Hugo Grotius said. It is like Samuel Pufendorf said. It is as Algernon. I'm telling you, I've been putting out to my bosses at JBS, I send out these quotations from Sydney that I'm putting in my book. I mean, this guy, if you don't, if you don't love Algernon Sydney, I don't love you. Because this man came correct with his stuff. You know, even mentioning the I word, you know, insurrection. He's like, right. why would an insurrection be bad if, you have, if you're being ruled by a tyrant? Wouldn't insurrection be good? Absolutely. I mean, and then you got Grotius last night. I put a big old chunk of Grotius in it where Grotius says, well, you as a Christian are a soldier in any war where you are required to protect the innocent. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what you're doing in Texas. You can, you can, you know, put that shiny patina of politics, but I'm going to be that little fingernail of truth. <laughs> the fact is there are innocent people being affected by the federal policies down there. And whether you consider an invasion or not, you have an obligation to protect the innocent as a Christian. That's right. And you stand down there and you do that. I don't care about Governor Abbott. I don't care about Kim Paxson. I don't care about no. Joe Biden. They could all, as Jefferson said, be sunk to the bottom of the ocean and I wouldn't blink and wouldn't care. But what I do care about is do I have an obligation to protect the innocent insofar as I am able? Yes, right. you do. Big old chunk of Grotius saying that kind of stuff. That's, you see, garbage in, garbage out. Well, really good philosophy in, really good philosophy out. You want to understand the Constitution and Declaration? You don't understand them if you haven't read Sidney, if you haven't read Grotius, if you haven't read Polybius, Plutarch, Pufendorf, these guys whose names I just read from the index of the Federalists. Or, or, or even the, the, you know, the, the, the Virginia Resolution. Or, you, you don't... <laughs> I mean, Google, Google is your friend, man. Yeah. Yep. And, and also you don't, what's funny, you don't understand the Federalist Papers if you haven't read it, but you also don't understand them if you haven't, you know, listened to or read Patrick Henry, if you haven't read uh, Cato, you know, if you haven't read- And it's real easy. You can type in online Library of Liberty, Cato's letters, and just read the table of contents and be like, dang, I want to read what he says about this. Because I used to do that series on TikTok about what Trenchard and Gordon wrote 300 years ago today that's completely applicable to our own day. Everything. Everything. I, this is what I'm going to tell you to do. I'm going to give you a little homework assignment. So Thomas Gordon wrote a series of letters called The Independent Wig. Bef so I'm going to tell you, go to and read, in, just Google this, Thomas Gordon Independent Wig and read letter number one, and it will enlighten you today more than anything you hear from these vacuous, so-called conservative talking heads that dominate social media. Right. 
you will read these words, and because these words are A, inspired, and B, inspiring, you will be different. Your attitude will be different tomorrow than it was today, and you will have a new understanding of what of what the battle really is. And this is a letter written in 1720. Yeah, I, I haven't read it, so I'm going to. That's, I will take on that homework assignment today. Take it on. Take and on me, in the immortal words of Morton Hart. Take on me. <laughs> take on me. Take me on. <laughs> I'll be gone in a day or two. I can't do it, man. <laughs> that's wonderful. But I think, um, and, and what's funny. So that, needless to say, is- <laughs> I'm odds and ends. But uh, no, I, 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 I shouldn't. I shouldn't you quote should. the immortal aha. Aha. <laughs> In the immortal words of Morton Harkett, take on me. Take me on. For I'll be gone in a day or two. And then you'll wish you've taken me on. Oh, Shakespeare couldn't have done it better. <laughs> he could not have. <laughs> oh, but um, yes, I will take that on. And I can't help myself. <laughs> now, now it's in your head. <laughs> Just, you, so you know what? Just like in the immortal words of Dolores. <laughs> oh, Reardon. It's in your head. Zombie. Zombie. <laughs> In your head, zombie. <laughs> oh, I wish I could play the straight man right now because that's really funny. <laughs> With their tanks and their bombs, their bombs, and their guns. Oh, they're still fighting. Hard, hard day. <laughs> hard day. They're still fighting in your head, Mike. <laughs> Michael, you know they're still fighting in your head with their tanks and their bombs their tank. and their guns. Oh, man. Yes. All right. So yeah, we got our homework assignment from uh, Professor. I never give homework, but I'm just going to tell you, man. Do yourselves a so- you, Look, it's like with anything. man. Excuses or decisions. Mm-hmm. It all comes down. All things are one great compound. Isn't that amazing? Yes that or no. Out? Black or white. <laughs> Do it or don't, but it's the eternal law of the harvest. Yeah, it's the eternal law of the harvest. That's exactly (laughs) right. It's it's like what I tell my piano students. I'm sorry your grandmother died. I'm sorry you weren't able to practice. Like, And I literally mean that in the deepest, sincerest way. However, it does not change the fact that you're no better today than you were last week. Oof. You heard it here. Mike Levitt doesn't care if your grandma dies. (laughs) That's exactly what I said. <laughs> oh, your grandma's dead? Yeah, well. Well, so you should have yeah, worn a mask. Should, <laughs> <laughs> you should have worn a mask. I guess she shouldn't have mouthed off on January 6th. Right. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah. R.I.P. Grandma. No, I think, I, you know, and, and the, I, but the, but. That's what I'm talking about. Like the consequences are deep. And like, for example, I'm sure you saw the, um, you know, the, the big hoorah with uh, Carrie Lake getting bribed and, and, you know, but <laughs> like, does that surprise you at all? Well, it doesn't surprise me. First of all, she wasn't bribed. Okay. Bribe yeah, right. is a word That's with true. a definition and she wasn't bribed. Uh, but does it surprise me that I, I'm shocked that, People are shocked, right? <laughs> like, is this think, like a daily? I think it sounded of- almost. It sounded almost, you know, like leave it to Beaver level corruption. <laughs> right. Hey, Wally, I'll don't, give don't- you a quarter if you don't run for class president, <laughs> Wally. But don't no, Beaver. Don't, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. No, Beaver. You can't buy me, Beaver. I'm gonna run for class president. <laughs> but gee, Wally, people will think you're real. You're really a. What did they say back then? I don't know. You're really a a square, Wally. A square. If you run for president, right. no beef. You can't afford you. Know, that that's the level of corruption. Because you've got Mike. Come on now. 
Come on now. The stuff the Biden crime syndicate has done oh, right? makes offering $30 million to Carrie Lake seem straight out of Mayberry, man. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And, and the, the, the point is, like, it gives you, when you read the stuff that you're telling us to read, like, it makes it clear, like, what's happening. And it makes it, it like... Dude, you become a prophet because right, you're like, right. oh, it's all happened before and here's how it happened. But to make it clear... I'm not telling you to read this, man. I'm just saying, if you claim to be a friend of the Constitution, if you claim to be someone who wants the Constitution followed, if you claim to be someone who reveres the Founding Fathers, then, you know, do more than draw nigh unto it with your lips. Right. Do more than, you know, have podcasts by fill-in-the-blank, vacuous, empty-headed conservative pundit and spend that time today reading something the founding fathers read that i mean that's the thing with our with so many when it comes to conservatives with your lips you draw nigh unto the principles of republican government but with your time you are far from it come on do a little bit of the heavy lifting it's time we stop eating the fruit of trees we didn't plant, drinking the water from wells we didn't dig. We haven't even taken the time to prune the trees or keep the well clean. We at least have to do that. We got to be grateful that they planted these trees of liberty, that they dug these wells of the sweet water of freedom. But we've got to at least maintain them, man. Right, and we may, and one of the when we maintain them, when we understand these things, then it becomes things like the article, the COS people become irrelevant because nobody, everybody knows that's BS. Yeah. You don't even have to fight. That's what I keep telling people at JBS and TNA is like, we don't need to fight them because once we educate people with these founding principles that are irrefutable, historically, legally, and constitutionally indefatigable, then we don't need to fight against COS because everything they say sounds ridiculous right right it's blah 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 it's it's right it'd be like me honestly coming on and telling people how to be a better concert pianist (laughs) you know what you need to do you see what happened was i will only um hit my c note and then my (laughs) b sharps (laughs) and what it creates a symphonic um crazy cacophonistic sound of joy. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's what it would sound like. It would be like all snaps and buzzers, the nonsense that convention of states trademark because they have trademarked that phrase because it doesn't appear in the constitution. They have trademarked that phrase. So there you go, COS. I'm looking out for your, your legal protections. So the convention of states registered trademark, the stuff they said the stuff they say, the, the nonsense they put out sounds ridiculous to people who truly know the principles upon which this commonwealth was founded. Right. And period. And, and, and there's so many of those. We mentioned the, the, you know, the COS peeps, but, but there's a bunch of those types of things that you, we can just lay aside and actually oh, get boy. to. Boy, I'm looking at you, Ben Shapiro. Right. <laughs> Dennis Prager. Dennis Prager. I'm looking at you. All you guys. Steven Crowder. See ya. Bye-bye. Yeah. Because it's all It sounds so vacuous. Right. So. Mark Levin. Mark Levin. (laughs) The great one. Right. I mean, if you got to give yourself your own nickname, dude, come on. There's a little. You got some. Yeah, you got little 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 man syndrome syndrome if you're giving yourself your own nickname. Come on. But the point is, yes, all of that stuff (laughs) sounds so silly, so infantile, so uneducated and so uninformed. Once you yourself, and I'm not talking about you got to get a PhD in in, um, the founding of the, you know, early... American uh, Confederation. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about do what I did. 
You claim to like the Federalist, but you claim to love. I'm going to quote Madison the Federalist paper. Come on, man. Come on. Do yourselves a solid. Go to the index. Pick out one of those names I just did. Google it and spend five minutes reading. Not reading about that guy. Don't get your Wikipedia entry for Polybius and be like, I know everything about Polybius. No. Read for five minutes in Polybius. Read five minutes of Polybius. I'm going to tell you right now, you read five minutes of any of those guys I mentioned. Polybius, Plutarch, Blackstone, Montesquieu, Beccaria, Tacitus. Uh, who else did we mention? Livy, Machiavelli, Sidney, Trenchard and Gordon. You read five minutes today of what those men wrote, and you will be tomorrow more informed and a more a well-armed soldier in the war against tyranny than you were today without and that's a guarantee. Right. And if you do that purposefully, it's so much more powerful. If we're, and I say that purposefully because, you know, for example, you know, we've been reading Plutarch. We've been reading Plutarch's essays. And, you know, just that doing those readings alone has uh, grounded me in such a profound way uh, that it's harder. I can feel that it is more difficult for one to get passed on me. So for something to get past me because just simply of taking the time to do the small bit of reading of Plutarch and that, and I'm not even talking about, we're talking like political stuff or, or things of government. I'm just talking about like writing, writing great philosophy changes you. Oh, reading that stuff does. I mean, it, it has the effect of whatever you marinate in. I mean, I'm, I'm grilling pork chops tonight. And those pork chops are marinating and they marinated overnight thanks to the one and only Chef Kylie. Woohoo! Uh, but guess what? Why do you marinate those things overnight? Because that you want that flavor to sink in deeper. If you marinate it for an hour, it'll be superficial. You marinate it overnight, it sinks deeper into the meat. The same with this stuff you're talking about. If you marinate in Sydney those principles are going to deeper and deeper and deeper. That's why the, our founding fathers could just talk about these things hardly with uh, hardly referencing the author because they had, since they were little boys, marinated in Trenchard and Gordon, Algernon Sidney. Well, they, they become symbols. And so if you use, if you just say their word, all of a sudden that means... A, it means a certain thing and it, it, it implies like certain uh, principles that you can't get around because you've marinated in those things. You know what but, I mean? Yes. And, but your life is like that, right? Whatever you marinate in, uh, what is it that uh, the, the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Yeah. Well, there you go. You're going to talk and you're going to understand those things that you take in. Plutarch says that himself, right? Mm -hmm. On how to be a good listener. He's like, you want to take things in. The more good you take in, the more good will go out. The more you will appreciate the good in others, right? And so if you could just do that, if you could make that decision today to say, even if you doubted, even if you doubted what we were saying, and you said, you know what? Just to show that, that Joey is just full of it, I'm going to take and I'm going to read five minutes of Algernon Sydney today. Just to show him that I got nothing out of it. Guess what? That ain't going to happen. Nice you are going to get in touch with me. Nice reverse psychology attempt there. Joey. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm being honest. It's like I just used to do in school. G you know, don't you do look, it. Don't look do me it. Whatever up. you do, don't read it. <laughs> yeah. Look me. Yeah. You know how they say that. This is a book that a man got his head cut off for. You don't want to read it. But no, you do. And what's going to happen is you're going to look me up on the, on the socials and you're going to hit me with things saying, you know what? I, I got so tired of hearing you say it. I thought I was going to do it just to refute you. And I read it and my eyes have been opened. I'm talking five. And dude, what's going to happen is that five minutes is going to turn into an hour. Right. 
because you're going to be like, I don't want to stop reading this because I've never read anything that inspires me and illuminates my understanding more than this does. Right. Period. And and that's without knowing his life. And then when you yeah. realize what he did with his life and you're like, whoa. Well, that, when you that realize dude. that he sealed his testimony with his blood, you're like, well, that guy meant what he said. Right. That's a, a lot different. It's a lot different. I mean, you think about the Savior. If he'd been standing there with Pontius Pilate and he's like, look, man, if you just go home to Nazareth and chill, we can just end all this. If Jesus had been like, you know what? That's yeah. a good point, man. Let's, 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 let's that, condemn Barabbas. That's on. a good point. <laughs> no one would know his name. And the same with Algernon Sidney. If he'd have been there in the Tower of London and Charles II would have said, look, bro, you can go home and just chill. Just shut up for a while. Chill. I mean, because he was 60 years old. And he's like, if you just chill, go to your big old house down in southern England and just chill. I'll let you go. If Algernon Sidney said, you know what? Cool. And, and Charles said, but, you know, we're also not going to publish this book. And he'd have been like, you know, that's fine, dude. No one would know him. Even right. if they did, pu- Mike, yeah, if they right. published discourses and well, dude had doc- taken the deal. Dr. Scott says yeah, that. Exactly. He literally says, well, one of the reasons why he was so impactful to the founders is because of his death. And it resonated <laughs> with, you know, Madison and it, it resonated with those guys. Yeah. The immortal Mercy Otis Warren, rest in power, uh, Mrs. Warren. She said that men like, Algernon Sidney and James Harrington, the two that she name check in her history of the American Revolution, she says those men are influential to us, not just because of what they wrote and how they live, but because how they died. They chose to die in a way that demonstrated that some things are worth dying for. And of course, you know, that makes me think of the story that you turned me on to a year ago, two years ago with the Maccabees. Oh my goodness. And when I read that, I just thought, why now I know why we don't read this in church. Well, there's a reason. (laughs) Yeah, man. When you realize King James was in charge of the, look, no, he didn't translate. He's about to say that King James translated. No, I didn't say that because that's not what happened, but he he was, it, it ain't, it ain't called the, Stephen Brown translation. King James was in charge of that business and he wasn't about to let there be, you know, that kind of stuff. It's a reason we don't study that stuff in most Christian churches because Maccabees instantly, oh my gosh, you talk about informing and illuminating your mind and you're just like, dang, yeah. And that story proves again, there was a mother saying, yep, I'm fixing to lose all my sons but I'm lo- and guess what's happening? They're being killed by a tyrant for standing for their principles. So guess where they're going to wake up? In heaven. Right. And if they didn't, if they, if they took the deal and shut up and went home, they have to live a long life knowing that they were cowards. Yep. Yeah, of course. Better to die well once and die a million times. Yeah, said that's, that? I mean, it's Shakespeare, right? There we go. <laughs> a coward dies many times and, uh, they, you know, the hero dies just one time. And so let that one time be worth something. Yeah. You know, you can't always control. Obviously, you can't control how you die. But in the meantime, you control how you live. And if asked to die for eternal principles of truth, you do that. To live a, because you got to leave a message of there are some things that are important. Because mm-hmm. in this world, it's like we read in Plutarch yesterday. Yeah. There's a lot of aimless moving and a lot of meaningless noise by distracted people. And the thing that elevates us as humans, that elevates our souls, is by spending time with people that we love and by doing things that are themselves sacred and elevated and by by frankly by distancing ourselves from the distraction Mm -hmm. you know the signal to noise ratio is out of control today you've got this podcast mike that if 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 there were justice 
And if people really cared about the things they say they care about, you'd have one of the most popular podcasts in the country. Appreciate that, man. But people don't do what right. they claim are important to them. Because otherwise they do that homework that they're not really homework, but they'd take that challenge that I gave them. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to be sending this to a few podcasters. I think so you, you go do the homework that you need to do, man. Yeah. Just, you know? just read, read independent wig. Number one, change your life. It'll change your life. Read five minutes of anyone mentioned in the index of the federalist. And, and you know, and, and it's in English. It's all been translated into English. It's free. Right. 24 hours a day. Pull it up on that little piece of glass in your pocket and read five minutes of Algernon Sidney. Read five minutes of Polybius or Plutarch and you're going to be a better person than you were today. Period. Because it's going to get in there and you're going to be like, dang it. I want to read more of this. Read. Well, and and it's it's funny. It's not like... It, it, the mind and the soul are such an interesting thing because it's not like because we read these certain words or right. because we say these certain prayers, things happen, but somehow they do somehow it gets in there and it just becomes the most, um, it, it changes you. It changes, it changes you in ways that you, you have no idea. And you're like, how can, how can this piece of paper, how can this screen change my life? But it does because, the as you said before, it's eternal principles. Like they, they they continue on forever and they grow with each person that that does it. Well, it's like Plato said, we don't really learn anything we remember. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Right. So when you read these things, it's going in, and you're being reminded of eternal principles of natural law that just resonate with a human being. Because you are a child of the divine and it resonates with you and you can deny it. And that's okay. Cause you're thou mayest choose for thyself for it is given unto thee. That's cool. Deny it all you want. But when the hour comes and you really, really need some of that oil, don't come to me, man. Cause we've both had equal opportunity to fill these lamps and I I'm not gonna have time for it. Well, I'm and you afraid. and you're incapable of like that. And I can't that, do it at the end of the day. I can't do it do anyway. It. Right. And it ain't like I haven't given you lots of opportunity. Like I haven't told you where the oil is found. Right. There's so much oil, man. You don't have to frack for it. It's just right there. <laughs> it's surface oil, baby. It's surface oil, baby. <laughs> dinosaur, <laughs> molten dinosaur. No, I know that's not true, but it's fun to say. It is fun to say. All this oil is right there under the surface, baby. Right. You you don't have to go far to get that little piece of glass in your pocket to type in Algernon Sydney Discourses Concerning Government. It'll be the first link that comes up. Don't read about him. Read what he wrote for five minutes and then contact me on social media and tell me how much it meant to you. Dude, this was the most important thing we could talk about. We, we, we're going to talk about other things. We can talk about them too, but I'd recommend people go check out your work, go check out your articles. You'll find probably the most interesting, um, idea that nobody's talking about as a, as a, um, as it relates to the, the wire tapping, the wire cutting, (laughs) And the wiretapping. The wiretapping too. I mean, some really interesting constitutional arguments that that Joey makes. So um, well, there'll be links there, but and you'll be doing interviews about that. But I think, man, for for those who really care about their family, themselves, their neighborhood, and their nation, what we're really doing, there's not a, a better thing we could have talked about today, brother. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And it's one of those things. It's like, you know. You you say you believe, the demons also believe and tremble. If you say you have faith, show me your faith by your works. You say you value the Constitution, you say you revere the Founding Fathers, great. That gets us nowhere closer to where we should be. Go and spend five minutes today reading the words that our Founders read. And maybe, maybe if you do that every day, a little while and you tell other people about it if we read what our founders read 
we might develop the courage to do what our founders did and throw off the chains of tyranny. Mike is gone. You are listening to And If Love Remains. Gone but not forgotten. First of 23 installments requested by Dr. Levitt. Trying to be in compliance here because we're taking him and that whole organization. 